This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelore. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks. Hi, Raw Beauties. Hang on to your hearts for today's episode. We have Vienna Farian joining us. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist. You probably follow along on her Instagram account at MindfulMFT. If you don't, please just head over there right now and make sure that you're following it. This woman is absolutely brilliant. She is the founder of Mindful Marriage and Family Therapy. She works with individuals, couples, and families and focuses on the systems in which people are brought up and exist in today. Vienna leads retreats around the world. She's an international presenter. She's a relationship expert for Motherly, a founding expert on mind, and has been featured in The Economist, Fatherly, Netflix, and Vogue, just to name a few. She is joining me for a conversation about self-love, how that presents in the relationships that we hold. We're going to talk about the number one trending Netflix show, Too Hot to Handle. She shares some tips around creating strong relationships for anyone who's either in a relationship or interested in being a relationship. And I ask her some questions about how COVID has impacted the relationships that she's seeing at her desk. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab your tea or your glass of wine, sit down and join Vienna and I for a conversation. Vienna, thank you so much for joining me today. Good to be here. How did you get into this work? Yeah, it journeys back to my parents' relationship, of course. So my parents, they got separated when I was in first grade, went through a nine-year divorce process, and as an only child, was a witness to all of the things that were going on there. And I saw a lot and experienced a lot. And doing work with couples and individuals and families within the context of relationships fully birthed out of my experiences, it tends to for most therapists, I'd say. So yeah, I mean, I think as an only child, that was something that was really specific and felt really unique to me at the time because I was having to observe and witness and then experience my own feelings. I didn't have a sibling. There weren't any other adults, neither of my parents repartnered or got remarried. And so, gosh, there was a a lot of energy around that. Growing up, I felt very much in the space of never upsetting the one I was with. And so that experience, especially as a child, I think makes it really hard to step into your truth and to share how you really feel and what you really are experiencing. And, you know, I've, I've shared this quite a bit and quite openly. My perception of them was that they were crashing and burning. Their stuff was big and it was hostile and emotional. And there was a lot of manipulation, gaslighting, paranoia, you know, just anything you could possibly think of, it was there. And so 
when I saw that, I didn't really believe that there was a whole lot of room for me to not be okay. I got into this work because I saw that they transitioned into a really nice friendship at a certain point, actually, which was an interesting journey to be on with them, right? Of like hating each other and really going after each other in a lot of different ways. And then getting to a place where, you know, they would travel together to come watch me play lacrosse in college. Wow. They, you know, and I had friends in, in university who didn't even know that my parents were divorced, right? Because of the way that they presented, right? So, you know, what a range. And yeah, I mean, I got into this work because that was the blueprint for me when it came to relationships, right? That is what I saw. And there was no way that I wanted to recreate that. And from an unevolved place, I guess you could say, I just wanted to safeguard and make sure that I never got divorced. Mm-hmm. That's obviously shifted and changed over the years, but it was like, all right, well, I'm going to go to to graduate school to figure out how to have healthy relationships. And it's fascinating to me. Thank you for sharing that. I'm always so fascinated in the backstory, in the understanding of how people come to be where they are. How did your, that initial blueprint that you had, that feels like there was probably quite a bit of trauma there. And I can only imagine that it impacted your whole nervous system. How did that impact the relationships that you were therefore in? Yeah. For a really long time, I presented as a little girl who was totally fine right? I didn't want to be an additional source of problem, trouble, difficulty, et cetera. And if we asked my parents, probably even back then, they'd say, no, of course not. Right. Like I know that this had a lot to do with my perception of what was happening in the system. Right. But that's, what's always so interesting about these conversations. It's like, but was it true? You know, it it doesn't matter. You know, like like, (laughs) it doesn't actually matter because this is what I extracted from that. And of course, as a tiny little human on the planet who doesn't really know a whole lot else, right. Like I'm creating narratives and belief systems coming from what it is that I Mm -hmm. saw and what it is that I experienced. And so Fast forward, I became a woman who I always say was a needless woman who was like totally cool, totally fine, loved presenting as the down chick. And anytime a boundary felt like it was being crossed, I would find a way to essentially bargain with myself. I really believed that if I expressed something to a partner where it was like, I didn't like that, or that didn't feel good, that that wouldn't be okay. You know, I know that in my mind, like, oh, that sounds so ridiculous, but really in my lived experience from childhood was Mm -hmm. I didn't know that I could do that and that the system would be okay. When I say system, I just mean me and the other person, Mm -hmm. right? This little unit that we were in. And so I didn't trust that. I didn't know that there was space to say, I'm not okay. Or I didn't like that. Or yeah, if you do that, that feels like it's crossing a boundary for me. And so I stayed quiet and I would just allow things. And thankfully, there was never anything that seemed so, so outrageous But when I look back at it, I really, I didn't have a voice in most of those relationships until I did. And that was one of the biggest ways in which that piece of it showed up later on in my life. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. 
Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Robbie Talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. I'm interested, you said that in not wanting to disrupt or cause any further conflicts within your family home, that you just sort of morphed into whatever your parents needed you to be or whatever, probably whatever your teacher needed you to be or your best friend needed you to be to just kind of keep things even keeled. And I think so many women do this. We get really good at being what other people need us to be. In the work that I do, not taking up too much space, we need to be smaller and tinier and thinner and more perfect and all the things. I'm curious, when you talk about bargaining with yourself and boundaries being crossed, after all of that people-pleasing, did you know what your boundaries were or has that been a process of you starting to uncover Vienna's truth? versus someone else's boundary? I wouldn't say that I knew at the time. I'd say I was probably quite disconnected and dissociated from what it was because I think when you spend so much time in the belief that you can't bring it forward, then the way in which you relate to it is by disconnecting from it. And so if there had been space for me, if I knew that it was okay, I probably could have tuned in to what those boundaries were. And even when you say that, like I think about witnessing the origin stories around boundaries. Like I saw two adults crossing boundaries constantly. And so that again, I do so much origin story work. And so that's why I bring this forward is like, that is what I observed. And that became the story and narrative around, you know, what is allowed, what isn't allowed. And when we're tiny, you know, the adults were like, 
they know what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they they know what's up. And well, that's a flawed. That's a flawed. <laughs> that's a flawed. Like, eh, that's like, not eh, true. Not it. But when we're <laughs> tiny, we don't know that. I would say it's been a process of learning how to tune in to what it is that I'm actually feeling, giving myself the space to be there and taking that risk and recognizing that the consequence that I am so afraid of, that I was so afraid of, is not actually a consequence I'm willing to trade at the expense of myself. Now I'm really good at it. <laughs> if you ask my husband, he's like, she doesn't hold back at all. Um, <laughs> she's got her boundaries. Yeah, she's got her boundaries loud and clear. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was such a process. And Erin, it was, you know, there was a relationship in my late 20s where this was the catalyst really for it all, for the aha moment, for the breakthrough for me. I was with someone, I really could see a future with this person. And even though we were really early on in the relationship, just a couple of months in, there was something that was like, yeah, there it is. Right. Mm -hmm. And a few months into the relationship, his ex had found out that he and I were dating and she surfaced back up and said, "I, I actually do want to be back in the relationship. She was the one who sort of ex- had exited and, right. and then, okay, you're now in a new relationship. I want to be back in. Okay. And so he's stuck in this place between feeling like he's choosing between me and this other woman. And in historical fashion, for me, it's like, absolutely. It doesn't help that I'm a therapist too, because <laughs> I always like <laughs> laugh about the fact that like, I can understand everything. I've got it. I can hold space, of course. Right. And it's like, oh, enough. Right. But, you know, so I'm in this space and I'm like, take your time. Of course. Like I want you to process whatever you need to process. And that is true, of course, but it just kept going. And at a certain point, it started to feel like, what's happening? And I I knew and I understood it wasn't about him choosing me or someone else. This was about him either choosing himself or not choosing himself. And I could see him in this space of not being able to choose himself. Mm -hmm. And I kept feeling really injured by it, right? I didn't feel like my feelings were being considered. I felt that my grace in some ways was being taken advantage of. And Mm -hmm. listen, part of that's certainly on me, of course, but it was sort of in that space where I was like, this doesn't actually feel good anymore. And prior to that, I had never been someone who had broken up with a person, right? If you look at my track record, right? Like I was always the one who the other person would say like, okay, I think we've hit our our point, right? Mm -hmm. Somehow I would overstay. And yeah, I got to this place with, with this person where this actually feels so dishonorable to me me that I need to take myself out of it. I remember I had this one call with him, which was the final call and haven't spoken to him since where I said like, this no longer feels good for me. And like, as much as I care about you, yada, 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 like I can't be in this anymore. I can't see you choosing yourself in this space. And so I'm removing myself from the equation here. And that was it. And it might not sound super profound, right? Because it's pretty like simple words and whatnot, but it felt so profound for me at that time. And I always say to people, like, once you do it once, mm. right, there's this new narrative that starts to emerge because you've lived something, right? This is the difference between trying to think our way through something versus like living through something that says, oh yeah, you can do that, right? Yeah. And so big aha. And I, I remember just thinking like, 
this was one of the first times that I had connected it to my childhood, which is so funny, right? Here's my work. This is what I do. And so I'm always amazed of how these aha moments will come out at different points in our lives, even when we are doing this work. I just remember like, wow, here was this role that I had taken on in my adult romantic relationships that was fully the extension of my role in my family system. And for your listeners, what I'd offer is you might see that extension, which would be the repetition of, but there also might be an opposition. Mine was a repetition. Mine was, ah, here's the role that I took on there. And here's the role that I find myself in my adult relationships. But the other look is an oppositional path where the role that we took on in our family systems might be a role that we're like, I hate this. I'm so sick and tired of being your emotional caretaker or your emotional processor or whatever, right? Whatever that role might be. And that we now reject and deny and cut ourselves off from something that might be so necessary for us to be in a healthy, expansive relationship. Yeah, and to grow and heal with the right person, obviously. Okay, so you mentioned he wasn't choosing between you and this other girl. It was about him choosing himself. So when you say that, is that are you saying it was it's about him really getting, in a sense, quiet with himself and being able to understand what it is that he wants, whether it's you or her or... Yeah, what I meant by that was that he was face-to-face with a lot of his own insecurities and fears. It was a woman he had been married to. He had been married once before that as well. Mm -hmm. And so a real big component of that was, I can't fail at two marriages. And so that piece of it was what he was up against. And that's what I mean by him with him. Gotcha. Right? Yep. Yeah. On that same sentiment of choosing and being in choice, I had two individuals that I was coaching this week and they used the exact same dialogue. You know, they come to me because they're struggling with food and body image and this relationship with self, the inner dialogue is feeling off. And With some people, it ends up, you know, we root back to family. It's their work situation right now. I mean, as you said, it always comes down to family in some component, but there can be pieces of their external world that are aggravating these things. And so for these two individuals, it was the relationship scenario. They were both single and they both had this narrative of nobody chooses me. Do you hear this often in your work? And what are your thoughts on that? I think there's probably a lot of people who don't feel like they're being chosen. And yeah, I mean, I think I'd get curious about what that actually means to each individual, Mm -hmm. right? Like, what are you actually saying when you say that nobody wants to date me or nobody wants to stick around when things get hard or people only like me when I'm presenting in a certain way, but Mm -hmm. if I give you the like raw, real stuff, then you want to flee, you know, like, so I'd want to understand what that language actually means to each individual. You know, my framework for things is that I do want to understand what's familiar about that. You know, when we find ourselves in repetition, when we find ourselves in a pattern, no one ever chooses me, right? When we use language like that, the absolute language, it's like, okay, so where did that get birthed, right? For me, it's like, I won't make such generalized assumptions that, you know, maybe you didn't feel chosen in a family system, but I would always start there, right? In understanding what did it feel like to either be chosen or not chosen growing up by the adults, whoever those adults were. And how did you know? What would have let you know that you were chosen? Choosing is connected to love 
right? And so what about love was either given and offered or withheld and why? Right. And so we want to tune into so many of those pieces because again, that sets the framework and the foundation for this. I actually just talked about this on the mind app that I'm on and this concept of why do we only accept the love we, we believe we deserve is saying that like that can only go as far as the love that we received, you know, our wires cross if it tries to go beyond that, because that's the, you know, that's the blueprint again, that says, here's what you get. And especially in a family system, right. With lovingly call forward mothers in the sense that that's our primary first attachment. Right. And so, you know, that source of love, that source of choosing, right. That source of belonging, right. Wherever that bar is, right. That's generally what we believe we deserve, right. It's very hard to go beyond that bar because that's what we got. Right. Do you also find that somebody can generally only give comfortably the love that they received without working on it. Like none of this is definite. All of this can be worked on. Oh, oh yes, of course. But I think, you know, that question is, is important because I think people might present because a lot of times people will overgive, right? And so they'll overwork because if I just do all of this and I perform in this way, right, then I'll get it. But it's not as authentic, right, as it probably needs to be. And so, you know, when we start to perform in that way, or we start to operate from a place of a desperate energy, right? Mm -hmm. Like it will not resonate, not in a grounded, integrated kind Mm -hmm. of way. So I would say that's probably true, but I'm really delicate with that answer. I'm not suggesting that people are faking it, right? I think that they can find, you know, this inner source, but if they haven't worked out the stuff that's been painful for them, mm-hmm. right? When once that stuff is healed and integrated, or you're in relationship with it, right? Not yeah. that anything is necessarily ever entirely healed, but if you are in relationship with it, then I think it expands. But if you're not in relationship with it, then I don't think it can be authentic. Here's why I'm so curious about this right now. And I'm going to disclose some information that I'm not super proud of, but also given that it's the number one show on Netflix right now, I have a feeling I'm not the only one. So I just binge watched Too Hot to Handle. Uh So season two just came out, couldn't turn away from the train wreck that was happening. And it was so fascinating because it's really all about relationships. And the individuals, for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, the context is these individuals come thinking that they're going to this like ultimate summer party. And then it's they're informed that it's not actually that, that they're all like, quote unquote, players and individuals who have had a lot of sexual partners, and they're not going to be able to have sex. They can't self-gratificate. They can't kiss, no heavy petting, all the things are removed from them. And the idea is that it's trying to encourage them to build these deeper relationships and connections. As the show goes on, you start to learn more about these individuals who are the ones that are more of like the players and their complicated family of origin stories. That's where I was wondering if the relationship component and the love component in the household felt complicated, would that then close them off to loving others and to finding depth with others. And kind of in the show, you start to see that pattern showing up for a lot of these individuals. Absolutely, it can. 
in the same vein, right? It's like if you grew up in a system that was complicated or chaotic, right? You might believe that that is what you get. And I will always remind people that like we can know that that's not true, right? Like we can think about that very differently and be like, of course not, you know, but when it's a lived experience, it's sometimes really hard to expand out from the story that we have lived in. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what, you know, what the exact stories were for, for this cast, no. but I certainly think that, you know, our family systems, and then of course, our past romantic relationships will give us information and will tell us something about how we relate to what we deserve or how we relate to being chosen. So there's some heavy lifting work in there, right. To like pull back these layers and figure out what it looks like to actually expand that capacity. I want to talk a little bit about self-love and how loving, respecting, honoring, and knowing ourself, how that impacts the relationships that we're in. People will sometimes say in sessions, I know I can't find the one until I love myself. And I'm like, well, hold on a second, because that can be a whole like lifetime of work. I'm not saying that it's going to always feel hard and we can absolutely start talking about that. But what's your take on that? Does somebody have to love themselves? And okay, let's start here. What does self-love mean in your mind? My definition of self-love is the intersection of compassion and grace for the self and accountability and ownership for the self. Mm. I like that definition because I think sometimes we get swept away with this idea of like, be gentle with yourself and take a bubble bath and just go into nature and get a massage, which are all lovely things. But if we don't do them with accountability and ownership, then we can't trust ourselves. What do you mean by accountability and ownership? If we just excuse ourselves for being human all the time, we wind up bypassing what it is that we need to look at. And so for me, self-love requires us to see the human and then also be accountable and responsible and own what it is that we need to own. There's no way for us to have self-love if we can't stand the way that we treat people or if we have done something that we have to park in the shadow. We have to look at those pieces for the intersection of I am human and I make mistakes and I mess up and I am flawed in all of these ways, right? I can be gentle with that, but I also need to take a look at those things. And I think a lot of times we tend to bypass that part of it and like add a bit of fluff to it instead of actually facing the things that we need to face so that we can have authentic love for the self, right? Love for the self that we trust. And as we expand that, then I do think the external stuff expands as well. But going to your second part, no, I don't believe that we need to have, you know, oh, I love every part of myself. And until you love yourself, then nobody else can. And I can tell you that from lived experience, because I remember a moment with my partner, Connor, where I was behaving in a way that I didn't think was great. I don't even know if we were in conflict or if I was just like picking at something 
down. And I was like, I'm so unlovable right now. And I can't stop myself. I'm just going for it. And I'm like, I don't understand why anybody would want to be around me, you know, in this moment. Right. And I distinctly remember him holding this space as I went through whatever it is that I was going through. And it felt so clear that he was still loving me, still choosing me and still so present for me in it. And that was another aha for me because I think it taught me through again, that lived experience, not thinking my way through it, that yeah, I wasn't proud of that. And I certainly don't want to show up in that way all the time. And probably if I did, it might be a different story, but it was such a beautiful offering from him to be loved by him, even when I wasn't loving myself. Mm -hmm. And it was actually through someone outside of me loving me that I was able to love myself and work with myself in a very different way. And so if you despise yourself, it's probably going to be really hard to receive love from somebody else. Okay. But we must be able to have a nuanced conversation about this. It cannot be like, until you love yourself, no one else can love you. It's like, that's just not true. Yes. You don't want to be hating yourself and that far on that edge of the spectrum. But if we're somewhere, you know, in between, I think there's a lot of beautiful individual work that we can do to come to this place of, loving the self and, you know, seeing all parts of the self while also trusting that relationships can also pull some of that forward for us too. So beautiful. One part in your definition of self-love that I haven't heard before, but that's really beautiful is this accountability to self. And where I think it's challenging to enter into relationships is if you're still too afraid to look at your shadows and take responsibility for things it's so helpful to be able to start to look inward, to recognize the patterns, to have compassion for those, but also to start to be able to change them. Because without that, then it's like, you're going to be hitting a lot of walls with people. Yeah, you're nailing it, right? It's like, how could we ever have self-love if there are things that we have to hide, right? If there are things that we are actively rejecting and denying about ourselves. And that's why that piece to me feels so important is like, I can look at that, right? I can touch it. I can be with it. I can feel it. I can bring it right into the front of my face. And, and again, see with grace and compassion, the human who did whatever the human did or said mm -hmm. whatever the human said, right? Like, but if we just brush over it, we're going to miss something. And there's no way for us to access a, a much fuller sense of self-love, right? If that's what's lurking in the shadows. And so to pull these things forward to say, oh, I hate this part where I feel insecure about, you know, whatever that might be is, is exactly what we need to be able to bring forward. And so, yeah, my offer would be the things that I reject, deny, hide, hate about myself are. Oof, not easy stuff and, you know, take, take time with it and be gentle with it. But if you can start to bring some of those pieces forward and have a relationship with them, then your relationship with loving yourself gets to expand. Mm, I love that. And if this feels challenging to you and if you're like, okay, they're shining the light where I need to go, but how do I do this work? Well, then whether it is through chatting with a therapist, using a coach, if you have a friend that you love and trust where you just want to start to dip your toe into this kind of thing, there's so many books out there. There's so many podcasts. Follow along on her Instagram page to just start getting glimpses so that this dialogue and vocabulary starts to become more normal and familiar. 
I think a lot of times people are like, if I dig up that part of myself that I hate or that I feel shame around, it's just going to get bigger. And what I've personally found, it's that in looking at those things and pulling them up, they actually get smaller. Yes, they might be more agitated for a moment, like I'm hating my body right now, or I'm I'm struggling with this inner dialogue of not being chosen ever or being rejected all the time. Like, you don't want to sit in that. You don't want to think about that. You don't want to talk about that anymore because it's painful. But in bringing it up, it's like a wave. It might start to peak and become really big and uncomfortable, but then it slowly starts to dissipate. It's just such powerful stuff. So so trust yourself in being able to handle that. It requires safety to do that work. And, you know, based on your story and based on what you're bringing forward, you really do need to be intentional, I'd say, about how you do that. For some, some of the listeners right now might already be journaling some of it and like, okay, let's do it, right? For those who are carrying quite a bit of trauma, finding a really safe environment to bring some of this forward is really important. And maybe that is with a trusted therapist or, you know, professional in in some way so that you can begin to look at some of these things, but do it safely where your system is not going to, you know, be re-triggered in some way that doesn't actually feel safe to you. I mean, what we know about this work is that there is space to move, right, to shift and these things can change and these things can heal and these things can shift. We just have to find, you know, the right rhythm with it. How has COVID impacted relationships? Have you seen a few more people in the chairs at your clinic? Have you had a few more emails from people? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, gosh, what a span, right? It's like, we've always been pretty busy. I don't know if there was necessarily like a huge uptick, but the span of how for some it brought them closer, how for some it pushed them further apart, how for some it revealed to them areas in their relationship that were so easy to avoid before. You know, I think the loss of autonomy for a lot of folks was big. I'm sharing this space with this person all of the time. For the person who really appreciates individuality and autonomy. I think that was very confronting. Gosh, it was sort of an endless set of scenarios, right? Like people got to spend more time with their families. Some people had missed so many things and were face-to-face with loss and levels of loss, right? From COVID deaths Mm -hmm. to, I thought about how devastating it would have been for me as like you know, a high school senior to not get to play my last season of lacrosse and not minimizing these things, right? Like at those moments in our lives along the way, like the amount of grief that we were being face to face with and so much of the emotional processing that was having to happen there. So a ton, you know, from things that were really beautiful for some people, things that were awful for others, things that were both for a lot of people too, you know, the loss and the transition or the clarity that people started to have for their lives. Like, who do I want to be around and where do I want to be and what do I actually want to be doing? And so there were certain things that were crystallizing, well, crystallizing in a really beautiful way. And then other things where it was like crystallizing the thing that we were avoiding naming and looking at. Which can be really hard while you're walking through it, while you're walking through these difficult conversations or the agitation or the feelings of loss. It's never comfortable. But I also think that COVID 
allowed things to bubble up to the surface that needed to be addressed, that we were just so busy on our phones and our work and commutes and socializing that we weren't looking at. And so with Scott and I, some things came to the surface, nothing major, but that we were like, I think it's time to dive into this. I found it interesting because I've done therapy forever and I'm now, you know, working with women myself. And so this dialogue and conversation and the self-work for me, it's so normal. It's just part of what I do. It's like flossing or or brushing. You do the mental check-ins. And for Scott, he's like, therapy is for people who this is like the last final lifeline, which is was just so different from the way that I was looking at it. And I was like, no, in my mind, therapy is is like coaching. And, you know, you have a business coach, you have a coach for your triathlons that you're running. This is one of the most fundamental aspects of our life. Why would we not have a coach for that? So we now call our therapist, Greg, our coach. He's our relationship coach. And that little simple reframe for him made all the difference in the world. It has been such a game changer. I honestly, I can't recommend it enough for for anybody where you're feeling like there's just these little things to dive in, to have these conversations, to pull the hard stuff to the front, to really not be afraid to look at yourself. I mean, all of these things make you who you are. And so having the grace and compassion to hold space for all of it will only allow you to live that much more of a beautiful, wholehearted life. Well said. Yeah. Do you have any final tips for our listeners who are on this journey to loving themselves a little bit more and who I'm guessing if they've clicked into this specific episode, want those relationships, whether they're in it right now um, or whether they're still waiting for that to come to fruition Any practical tips on integrating more self-love? For me, of course, I think a great place to start is looking at our origin stories around love and looking at the messages that we received, implicit, explicit messaging that we received as we grew up and just spending some time there, just getting to know it. Maybe that's talking about it with your therapist. Maybe that's journaling about it on your own. Maybe that's going into nature and just thinking about it. But I think it's so important for us to understand the origin stories around these pieces as we move towards this idea of like, how can I actually love myself a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. One of the big things is understanding the constraints to it. A lot of times we're like, let me do this. Like, let me push this. Let me push this agenda of loving myself more. And I find that sometimes flipping it is really valuable of what keeps me from loving myself more, Mm -hmm. what blocks me from loving myself more. If I loved myself more, what would have to happen? If I loved myself more, what would that mean? Right. If I loved myself more, what would I have to grieve? If I loved myself more, what would I have to accept or let go of? And so a lot of times, part of what has to be unlocked first are the constraints as opposed to like, just do 10 minutes of breath work and stretch in the morning and make sure you're drinking your water and all of the things which are all lovely and wonderful and great. Go for it if that feels good for you. But it's also not the thing that's going to get you to where you actually want to be, not alone. And so I think all of those questions that I just asked, what do I have to release in order to make space for this? Yeah. Like you said before, I put up a ton of prompts on 
my page, it's Mindful MFT as in Marriage Family Therapy. And that space, I try to offer a lot there. And I do try to offer exercises and things that can actually help people. They're not just reading something and like, okay, that's cool. But how? <laughs> Even yes. though people still say, but how, yes. but how? <laughs> but I do try to give prompts and, and exercises that people can actually do to start implementing. So that might be a beautiful place to start. You do such a brilliant job of that. And there's no doubt that it takes time and thought and mindfulness and care. So thank you so much for doing that. We're going to make sure that we include those questions that Vienna just mentioned around deepening into self-love in addition to the questions around really reflecting on and looking at the shadows, the darker spots, the spots that maybe you don't love so much. So check out the show notes for that. We'll also include a link to her Instagram. Where else can people find you? Website is newyorkcouplescounseling.com. I am on the app Mind, just sort of a mental health space, really beautiful, quote unquote, experts who give sessions on a span of so many different topics around mental health and self-love, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I have a couple of courses. We're relaunching the Origins of You course in September and I'm writing a book right now. So that's really exciting. Just a couple things on the menu, raising a baby, navigating your own marriage, running your business. It's truly incredible. You're such a light in this world. It's been an honor to talk to you. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Robbie Detox community at Robbie Detox. And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.